it's a good lesson for all of us to know that it's important to say no when that's what works for us, for our system, for our internal being, for our life. If we keep doing the things that we feel like, well, somebody's got to do them, by saying no, there's this fear that then this good thing won't happen. That might be the case. Yeah. If you're willing to step back, it may be that someone else equally values that and has been letting you do all that mm-hmm. because you did it so well. Right. <laughs> and, yeah. and by stepping back, you're actually making space if it needs to happen for that other person to recognize that they could be that person. Yeah. To step forward. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes we need those vacuums. Yeah. It's uncomfortable. Hi, I'm Biz Cush a life coach and therapist, and your host here on the Awaken Your Wise Woman podcast. We're talking to women all over the world who found their way back to themselves, to their inner knowing, to their intuition, to their wisest self. We're exploring how to feel alive, authentic, engaged, and fully present in your life. Let's awaken your wise woman. Hi, and welcome back to the Awaken Your Wise Woman podcast. I'm your host, Biz Cush, and this is my podcast, and I'm excited that you're here. So I had a funny, when I started this recording, I started off with welcome back to the Woman Warriors podcast, which is kind of silly because I we haven't been woman warriors since, I don't know, two years ago, two seasons ago for sure but it's amazing how embedded these things can be in our memories, in our brains, in our retrieval. But here we are at the Awaken Your Wise Woman podcast, and I'm super excited about my guest today, Marjorie Turner-Holman. But before we jump into that, I just want to say this season of guests has just blown my mind. And Each time I get off a call, I'm like, oh my gosh, I have to share this episode right now because it's so good. And two, I can't share them all right now because I need to have episodes for the future. So there's some great stuff coming up. This is a great conversation. There's more great conversations to come. And I look forward to sharing them with you. If you want to get the podcast right in your inbox so you don't miss a single episode, you can sign up for the newsletter, which will get you the podcast. And you go to elizabethcushcoaching.com forward slash sign up. And not only do you get the podcast in your email, you also get a free gift from me, which is some writing prompts for really honing into your energy, what aligns with you, how you can tap into, I guess, a greater alignment with yourself. So sign up, elizabethcushcoaching.com. That's Cush with a C. Forward slash sign up, all one word. Today, my guest is Marjorie Turner-Holman, who is an author, and we're going to be talking about her, her most recent book, but we dive into finding your voice, the shame that we feel when needing to ask for help and how we can turn that into the gift of receiving. 
and it's just beautiful conversation. So I'm excited to share it with you. And here's a little bit more about Marjorie. Marjorie Turner Holman is a freelance writer and editor who loves the outdoors, uses hiking poles to help keep her balance on the trail, and has completed four books in the Easy Walks Guide book series. Her latest book, My Liturgy of Easy Walks, which we'll talk a little bit about today, is a memoir, Meditations on Learning to Live with a Changed Life. A native Floridian, she came north for college and snow. She has appeared on Boston's WCVB Channel 5 TV news show, Chronicle, Boston's WBZ TV Channel 4, the Boston Globe, local radio and cable TV shows, and has been published in local, regional, and national publications. My conversation with Marjorie was enlightening and it really filled me up. I really enjoyed hearing about her journey and what it's been like to live a changed life after her brain tumor and paralysis and what that has meant in her life in terms of having to figure out how to move forward as she gained strength and her mobility back and her point of view and her bringing her walking journey into our conversation was really lovely. Without further ado, here is my conversation with Marjorie Turner Holman. Hi, Marjorie, and welcome to the Awaken Your Wise Woman podcast. Well, thank you so much. It's really nice to be here today. Yeah, it's so nice to meet you. And as we shared a little bit before we got started here, just really enjoying your book, My Liturgy of Easy Walks. But before we talk about that, if you wouldn't mind sharing with the audience a little bit about you and your journey. Thank you. I mean, I was born, I came to New England for college, stayed because I love snow, and I haven't gotten tired of it, raised my family here. And my life really took a change, had a big change. When I was in my mid-30s, I found that I had a brain tumor that needed emergency surgery. Mm. When I woke up from what was truly life-saving surgery, I discovered my entire right side was totally paralyzed. Oh my gosh. That was a surprise to everyone. Mm. And I also knew right away that this was not something that was going to be a crisis that got dealt with, that it was, it had not just a potential, it was very clear this was going to be something that had changed my life and that was going to be needing support on into the future with no particular end point. So, yeah, yeah. That was very daunting. I was going to say, I, I would imagine knowing that in that moment must have felt like a lot being in your early 30s, looking ahead to what life might be like. Or, you know, what we imagined our life was going to be like. I know. I was a single mother, so I already, with my two kids, so it was really scary. Wow. Um, How was I going to care for them? 
wasn't anything I'd ever imagined. I, I have an active imagination. I use it. I practice using it every day. Mm. I'm, a, I'm a warrior, but this was nothing that had occurred. I had all sorts of other uh, scenarios that I imagined, mm. and this was not one of them. Yeah, I would imagine that was not something you ever could have even conceived of being a possibility for your future. And I'm curious, how old were your kids at that time? My daughter was 10. My son was 14. So they weren't babies, but still neither of them could drive. Yeah. 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 Wow. So they kept me going. It really, I bet. you know, God bless them. They really did give me a reason to keep going. I, th- I felt very angry and very frightened. Yeah. So that was, that's, it's certainly been a process mm. of figuring out making peace and yeah, just figuring a whole stuff out. I've had lots of support at various times from various people, including family and friends, and new people who came into my life. You you can't really predict who those people are going to be. Well, and I wonder too, like who maybe fell away when you needed help. Yes, of course. That I think that happens to most any of us when we have a big life change. And it's, it's really easy to take it personally and say, those people that didn't stick with me really let me down. Mm. And I've, I've had enough practice with it to recognize that they weren't the people who changed. I was the one that changed. And a very few can stay with you through those massive changes in your life. And the majority of people just can't. Same for me with other people. There are a very few that I can stick with as they make these, get through these changes. Most of us can't do that. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard. Yeah. And I guess I can attest to you from my own personal experience that not just physical changes or physical illness, but emotional changes, like going through your own healing creates change within, which then. I mean, I found some relationships fall away as I change myself into the person that's more authentically me. Exactly. Yeah. 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 It's the same process mm. and it's the same disappointments yes. and making peace with that and forgiving those people who weren't able mm-hmm. to do that. Hopefully they would forgive me when I'm not able to do that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and forgiveness can take some time, and that's okay too. Uh, yeah, it's a lifetime. <laughs> As I told my son once, that God is a whole lot more practiced in forgiving than I am. So you got to give me a break and give me a little time. There you go. I love that. <laughs> yes, yes, and yeah, it can be a lifetime of of a, as it evolves within us to be able to forgive as we move forward. And I'm curious that you said that not expecting, obviously, to come out of this emergency surgery paralyzed on your right side. Is that right? Correct. And now finding yourself in a position as a single mom having to ask for help. 
a lot of help, I would imagine. Yep. I got very practiced at it. Yeah. It was something I'd always avoided. It felt very shameful to be able to need help. Seeing myself as a needy person was a terribly shameful self-image. And when you have no choice but to start asking for help, it took a while, but I got a lot of practice. And really, for my kids' sake, if it had just been me, I don't know Mm. that I would have done it, but I wasn't willing to say no Mm. to my kids. And so for their sake, I learned how to ask for things. I, I describe it to people as casting a wide net, that it's important not to ask just one person, and that's the only person you ever ask that's a guarantee to overburden Mm -hmm. any one person. What I would do, I had kind of a script when any particular need came up. I didn't have email even at that time. This Mm. was pre-email for a lot of us, 1993. And so the phone, and thankfully my voice had not been affected. A lot of people that does happen. And that terrified me. What would I have done? Mm. Not having my voice. My voice was the tool that would help me express what I need, communicate all, you know, all sorts of things. So mm. when I would call someone, I always would say, I need you to say no, if this really isn't something you can do. Otherwise, I won't feel like I can ask you again. So please tell me now if such and such a date, such and such a time, such and such a task doesn't work for Hmm. you. I'll come back to you. But but if it's not, you know, if you can't help me, I've got other people. You know, I've got, you're the first one I called. I often say that to whoever I called just so they didn't feel guilty for saying no and giving the person permission to say no opened the door so that they would feel like they could say yes another time as opposed to saying oh no she's calling again can I just not answer the phone yeah yeah I, I tried it really was a very helpful practice and I did get a lot of chance to practice Well, it's almost like you were giving them permission to say no, but also giving yourself permission to hear that they couldn't do it, potentially, that they could say no to you. And it didn't fracture the relationship. It didn't create this unnecessary guilt or burden or, yeah, that you were really permissioning both you and them. Yeah. It also took the shame away. Yes. That yes, I yes, wasn't yes. trying to guilt anyone into it. Mm. It was, you wouldn't know if I didn't ask. Right. And so I need to let people know how could they know yeah. what I needed that mind reading isn't a skill many of us have. <laughs> so. I would say none of us have, but we're good at <laughs> thinking we know how to mind read, but we don't really. Right. Yes. Yeah. And I think in particular, and I hate to make generalizations, but from my work with being a therapist and a life coach, like for women that being the the asker, being the one who needs the help is such a 
that can be such a hard, tender place to look at, but but also to to get better at asking and being okay with like that word needy has such a negative when actually we yeah. have needs and that's that's okay. Oh boy, I finally got to the point of saying, well, if all we ever do is give, somebody's got to do the receiving. And kind of making a joke of it, but really in truth, it can't just be that one way. We like to be in that power position mm. of I have something to give you. Mm -hmm. But to understand that it can be reciprocal, there has to be someone who receives. Mm -hmm. I probably saw this most clearly just one day at church when our priest was preparing the Eucharist mm -hmm. and he prepared to give it to us. And if he's handing that out to us and there's no hands to receive, it's important to take that gift. It was particularly poignant because I knew he was dying of cancer, mm. but he was still mm -hmm. giving. And for us to accept that gift was a gift for him. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I find that for myself anyway, opening myself up to being vulnerable, asking for help, there is a, a much greater reciprocity between, I mean, assuming the person that you're coming to for help then hears you, sees you, doesn't make you feel terrible for asking for it, right? It's the right person. <laughs> yep. But that it 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 creates a beautiful bond too, because helping someone is a really, it's, it is a nice thing to be able to do for someone else. I mean, and we can't always, mm -hmm. it doesn't work if we're always the helpers and not the receivers. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's a beautiful story of the Eucharist. I don't know. That just, I don't know, somehow mm. landed with it, me. It was very, very visual. And I can still picture mm. the whole setting and, and just, it takes me right back. So thank you for listening. Yeah, yeah. I know our culture is very able-bodied. Our world, the way it's all set up. My oldest son is a little person. He was born a dwarf. So I know from experience of navigating, you know, he's 34 now. So, but when he was a child, navigating the world for average sized people, it was always like we were always having to think about, figure out how to make the world accommodating to him, you know, bringing stools, mm -hmm. places, asking for things. Mm -hmm. I'm curious, you know, you came from being able-bodied to, to not, mm -hmm. and how has that, I don't know, impacted you? And yeah. Oh, it's, it's been lots of changes. What occurs to me, because again, there's shame of it's all these needs yeah. that I have for various things that have been the consequences, my particular ailments, disabilities, whatever term you want to use. There's a woman that I follow on social media who's very, very articulate. She's in a wheelchair and she articulates the whole disability 
I don't even know the word, but what she meant, said that really resonated with me was that we have made accommodations for able-bodied people everywhere you look. There's a building. Oh, we built some stairs so you can now go in the building. Mm -hmm. What? You want a ramp so you can go in? That's something extra. No, you've already done things for people to make it accessible. We're asking the same Mm. for us. Yeah. And it isn't that you're asking something that nobody else asks for. In fact, we have stoplights, we have cars, we have practically everything. You see stairs to get in your house. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the automatic seats in a car, right? Like all sorts of everything. Yeah. Yeah. And and when you start seeing that we all make accommodations every day, whether it's for children to put them in a stroller, whether it's at the grocery cart so we can carry groceries, those are all tools that we take for granted. Mm. And we don't even think about that those are accommodations to help us deal with Regular life. Yeah. Yeah. And why does this have to be such an ordeal to ask for accommodations for or special considerations? Special considerations. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So that actually was a really powerful picture that I I got in mind. I I just keep seeing the stairs and I need stairs. I can do stairs, but they need to have railings. Mm -hmm. And if it's in a public place, people love to lean against railings. Yes, they do. And I get very weary mm. of asking people, could you please move so I can use that railing that I need? Wow. You get cranky. I bet. I bet you do. Well, <laughs> Or in the winter, there are often ramps. And I went into a store once using their railing up the stairs. And I walked in and said, why isn't the snow shoveled off your ramp? They had only shoveled the stairs. Oh my gosh. And the answer was, oh, those people don't go out in this weather anyway. And I still just remember the disbelief and anger. I I didn't have the words. Mm. Yeah, Yeah, it does make me angry. I bet. I bet. It's, it's really very frustrating. I'm guessing you have felt that for your child. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And just the whole feeling as if, I mean, as a family, we were so noticeable because of the disability versus like, this is just a family. It's like, this is mm-hmm. the family where there's a little person in it. And it's like, you get remembered for that instead of just for who you are as a family. It's an interesting uh, dynamic, but um, Mm -hmm. I love walking, which I talk about on the podcast often, especially like using walking as a mindfulness tool as well as exercise. So I really have been appreciating your book, the My Liturgy of Easy Walks. I'm curious what inspired the book and what this process of going from, it sounds like full paralysis to walking again with assistance has been quite a journey too. Yes. I'll tell you first that the walking, I have regained quite a bit. I can walk, 
around my house is fine. Our pavement is fine. My right foot and ankle are still paralyzed. Okay. So there's a lot of concern about falls. Oh, yeah. When I'm out on trails, I always use hiking poles. Yeah. And that's, we keep them in, the, in both cars just yep. as a given. I'm able to drive safely now. Other medical issues that kept me from driving are dealt with with medication and lifestyle. Nice. So those that's given me some freedom. Mm-hmm. The the easy walks, I always loved to get outdoors. And it really started with a newspaper article that or actually a newspaper series. I, I have written for newspapers for over 25 years. Mm-hmm. I started writing when I couldn't walk mm. and I wasn't able to do any of the other work that I had been doing. Mm. I had avoided writing like the plague, I was very terrified. And the inner editor was right on my shoulder. And so that actually, because of necessity, opened the door and pushed me past that fear. Mm. So I, I had been writing, I wrote this column of outdoor places just locally, but because of my own challenges, I only went to places that I was able to safely walk. It didn't have the easy walks title then. My my editor just called it Natural in New England. I had the sense that it might be a resource. So I put all of these articles onto my writing website. Mm. And people started finding them. And after about the 500th time somebody came to one specific blog post, I thought to myself, you know, Dawn came to Marblehead. I think there's a local need. I think I might be able to do that. Yeah. So yeah. I had known how to do self-publishing because I had been doing personal histories as a, a project. I, I had done profiles, and this was another way of being able to do profiles of people, get the longer history, and turn them into self-published books. Oh, wow. So I knew I knew how to do self-publishing, mm-hmm. and I went out and did the research. It was a great way to make new friends. Mm. I would, it was a quest, mm. and quests are always very contagious. People like to hear about a quest, mm-hmm. and if you invite them on that quest, it's even more exciting. Yeah, I gained new friends wow. by saying, again, it was asking for help, but it was help for a quest. Hmm. So it was a different kind of asking for help. Like a bigger purpose almost. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It wasn't a selfish ask. It was a, I have this project and I need some help to finish it. Would you like to be part of it? Hmm. And people were really quite excited about helping me. That was the first book. And my husband was the one I had all these titles and he said, well, why don't you just keep it simple and say easy walks in Massachusetts, which is where we live. Uh, and so that's what I did. I got a Facebook page because that was some marketing advice. Mm-hmm. And what do you do on Facebook? You put up pictures. So I started going to a little more far flung mm-hmm. trails in additional towns right nearby as I could find them. Before I knew it, I had enough material for about another half a book. Hmm. 
So then I had to find the rest to make it a full book. And that was more easy walks. Someone else asked me if I would help with their organization, their watershed organization. So I worked with them. That was the third one. Hmm. And then I wrote a book called Finding Easy Walks Wherever You Are. And that was the answer to how do you find all these places? Yeah. So that was the fourth book. Hmm. And in publicizing that fourth book, I reached out to all sorts of people. One of my college that I was an alumni and they invited me to agree to do a profile of me. And when they had published it, the headline was A Liturgy of Easy Walks. Oh, interesting. Which I had no idea that that's what I had communicated Mm. in our conversation. It's a Christian college, but we did not overtly talk about religion, about faith. We were just talking about walking Mm. mindfully. Wow. But she picked up the spiritual side of it. Mm -hmm. And so when I saw this title, I said, I think that's my next book. Mm. I wonder what's going to be. Wow. I had no idea. But I had been writing these essays over the years. A lot of them just little stories with my kids in the neighborhood but others, meditations, mm-hmm. thoughtfulness, and struggle yeah. of what do you do with a changed life? Yes. And those are the ones that I put into the book that you have. Yeah, yeah. I, just before we got on our conversation, I read, I guess there was an instance where I think he said healing takes time or something, but a dog knocked you off a porch and you were... Oh, yes. pain for her quite a bit of time. But yeah, I, I think that, yeah, the sense that I got through the few essays that I read were just that you can find moments, even if everything isn't great, you find your moments of healing throughout, like the journey. Very much. Yeah. Very much yeah. so. Mm. It's not something you can force. One, one of the things I I like to emphasize to people is this no pain no gain does not work when you're recovering from a serious injury or illness yeah especially neurologically but other things as well your body heals on its own calendar yeah and suddenly i would experience some new function that hadn't worked i could put weight on my right foot and turn hmm. when I was dancing that I couldn't before I would have to kind of step around and I can still tell you that moment when suddenly I planted my foot and it could turn wow but if I'd been sitting doing nothing you know just feeling sorry for myself and not moving and doing what I could I wouldn't have known Mm. that healing was possible. Wow. Wow. But just pushing and pushing, trying to get past the pain did not work for me. No, no. I would imagine that, I mean, it sounds like you really were listening to your body and how much you could do and really tuning in to when it was time to rest. I spoke pretty loud. (laughs) (laughs) I bet it did. (laughs) 
Well, and <laughs> it was pretty loud. I think if we're listening, it's always speaking pretty loud, but we just have learned how to tune it out. <laughs> right. I have a piece in there about Zen dishes hmm. and that it was a, a grace that my family moved to lighter plates because it gave me warm, soapy water wow. to help my hands and my shoulder hmm. move in a comforting way. But I could only do so much. And so lighter plates meant that I could do a little more. Mm. But I could also stop when I needed to. The pain in my shoulder would get unbearable. And if I tried to push through it or hurry, it didn't work. Yeah. So I had family that was would come by and say, how are you doing? I was, oh, it feels so good. They'd say, oh, mom's doing her Zen dishes. <laughs> But they were always ready to step in when I said, I've had enough. Mm. Nice, nice, nice. Well, I love that, you know, your body sort of led you on this healing journey, even today, to find space to live your life really fully and write these beautiful books for us to read. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. So if you could share a bit of wisdom to the women who are listening to this podcast, what might that be? Oh, probably the first thing that comes to mind is to slow down. Mm. We live in a very hurried society. I move at the speed of a turtle, mm. but that's what I've had to learn to do to practice to make it so I can deal with what I can do. Mm -hmm. We push ourselves and push ourselves past what we can do. And then we say, oh, I'm always so busy. I'm always so busy without realizing that there are choices that we could make to say no to things that aren't good. Yeah. Or whether we say yes to things because of guilt or whatever and yes. to if we choose not to slow down our body is going to slow us down at some point yeah for me it was a brain tumor for other people it's a heart attack yeah for other people it's a stroke or arthritis for other people right? it's a broken relationship yes. uh, there yes. you know there's many ways that we will be forced to slow down mm -hmm. or you can choose to slow down before that happens. You can't prevent, you can't prevent terrible things from happening in our lives. No. But you can choose to say no to things that otherwise you're just doing because you're getting guilty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. I think yeah, when we're so busy and we're not really listening to what it is that does fill us up, that, you know, we're saying yes to things that really matter to us, like we're missing so much of our living our life, you know, in a way that feels. Really People like to feel like if they're busy, that they're important. Yeah. And for those of us who can't be that busy, that there's the temptation to feel like we are not. Mm important because we're not busy yeah we can't have that same business yeah and that's been a tug and pull for me too of feeling like i am less than yeah 
because I'm not as busy as all these people who don't have time because they're so busy. Well, there's busy and there's busy. Yeah. Yeah. And, and especially when our kids are, are younger. Yep. But you can still make choices and you don't have to say yes to everything. That is the truth. It's really okay to say no to your kids once in a while. Yeah. I had to. Yeah. Oh, I bet. <laughs> I bet you did. Yeah. It's a good lesson for kids too. I mean, it's a good lesson for all of us to know that it's important to say no when that's what works for us, for our system, for our internal being, for our life. If we keep doing the things that we feel like, well, somebody's got to do them, by saying no, there's this fear that then this good thing won't happen. That might be the case. If you're willing to step back, it may be that someone else equally values that and has been letting you do all that mm-hmm. because you did it so well. Right. <laughs> and, yeah. and by stepping back, you're actually making space if it needs to happen for that other person to recognize that they could be that person. Yeah. To step forward. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes we need those vacuums. Yeah. It's uncomfortable. Yes. I would agree. I would agree. Well, Marjorie, I so appreciate your taking time to talk to us today in our conversation and for the listeners. And I would love for people to know how they can find you if they want to know more about you and your books and Easy Walks. Oh, thank you. MarjorieTurner.com is my website. I have links to all my books on the homepage right there. I have a Facebook group called Easy Walks, Massachusetts, Rhode Island, and beyond. We welcome people outside of New England. They don't have to be in New England. Mm -hmm. And Easy Walks are not too many routes, not too many rocks, relatively level with something of interest Mm -hmm. along the way. We're all about trail surfaces. And that's for lots of people, not just people who are disabled, older people, Young, young parents with kids in strollers, yeah. recently injured, disabilities of many kinds, people who are, are visually impaired. There are many, many people who benefit from Easy Walks. It doesn't restrict it. Yeah. So thank you so much. Oh, thank you. And I will be sure to include all of your contact information in the show notes. And thanks again. Thank you, thank you so much. Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation. I know I got a lot out of it and I really felt like it just resonates so much with me that walking can bring so much healing within our bodies and our soul. And I recently shared a post on social media about how much walking means to me in terms of working through shame and where I hold it in my body and helping me fully release. So I just appreciated Marjorie sharing her story. And again, just that the idea of being able to, through healing her physical self, also healing her internal self, learning how to ask for help, learning how to receive with fullness and bring more reciprocity into relationships. So 
I hope that you enjoyed it as much as I did. In two weeks, we have another amazing guest, Natalie Liu, who has a new book coming out called The Joy of Saying No. And it is a uh, another fabulous conversation that I cannot wait to share with you all. So join us in two weeks. Again, if you'd like the podcast in your inbox so you don't miss a single episode, sign up at elizabethcushcoaching.com forward slash sign up. I look forward to connecting with you next time here on the podcast. Thanks for listening to the Awaken Your Wise Woman podcast. The information in this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. Music by Andy Cush, sound editing by Laura Disler, and show notes by Kathy Cush. If you'd like more information about me, Biz Cush, and the resources shared today, go to awakenyourwisewoman.com.